back to read our scripture for today, which comes from the book of Ephesians. This is Paul's letter to Ephesus, starting at verse 1 and reading through verse 11. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will. To the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him, we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. The word of God. Happy New Year, everybody. So my name is Jordan. I am one of the pastors here at Renaissance. Uh, as the years have gone on, um, and certainly after I became a parent, uh, my goals for my nights out have changed. Uh, I used to go out thinking, like, I really want to make sure I have a good time. Uh, before I went to a dinner party, I wanted to know who was making what, who was making a potato salad. Um, uh, but as I've gone out, certainly going out with my son, I really only have one goal every night we go out, and that's for him to not embarrass me. That's <laughs> numero uno. So I went to a dinner party last night, and everybody was passing around a jollof rice and all of that. Everybody was passing around a mac and cheese, and everybody was loving everything. And the whole night, I just had this awkward grin on my face, hoping and praying, Lord, don't let us end up in the headlines of the evening. Like, it's fine. I hope we laugh. I hope everybody has a good time. But I don't want to be the memorable thing of the night, like, Remember when that kid bit somebody and like it's, and we made it almost through the whole night unscathed uh, where everything was going well. We were operating on all cylinders and certainly towards the end of the night, putting coats on, we're in the home stretch. We're in the final stretch. All we got to do is put the coats on and leave. And I see my son has this glistening look in his eyes. And uh, for those of you guys who don't know, my son is absolutely obsessed with dinosaurs. He thinks he's a dinosaur. All he watches all day, uh, he wants to watch dinosaur TV shows. He knows all of his dinosaurs. He knows that this is a triceratops. And I know that everybody thinks their kids are geniuses, but can your two-year-old say triceratops? <laughs> That's all I'm saying. It's a question. It's a question I'm throwing out there. He's not potty trained, though, so that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> there's pluses and there's minuses to this thing. So at the end of the night, where I have my coat on, my wife's putting her coat on, see the look in his eyes, and I see his hands go up. And I'm like, he's about to do it. This is his thing. <laughs> this is his move. This is his move. He puts his hands up in perfect T-Rex form, and he cocks his head back, 
and lets out a series of roars for the whole crowd. One roar is just for amateurs. He is a real T-Rex and let out a series of very loud, top-of-his-lung roars. Now, everybody knows he loves dinosaurs, so for Christmas, uh, that was basically everything that he got. Um, we, didn't get, we didn't get him anything because we knew other people would get him gifts, and um, got to save money, got to save money. <laughs> the first gift that he got was this, black, this, this box of dinosaurs, about 15 of them in the box, and he wakes up in the morning asking for them first. I used to go in his room in the morning, and he would say, where's mommy? Now he says, where are the dinosaurs? It's... <laughs> It's been a great change in uh, fortunes at our, at our home. He thinks about dinosaurs all day. That's all he wants, all day and all night. And my parents, thank you guys very much, they bought him this moving, stomping, roaring T-Rex that we have been so grateful that the batteries have died in that thing. <laughs> now we're like, hey, it doesn't work. There's no battery, you know, I don't know what happened. As crazy as his obsession is with dinosaurs, um, that little two-year-old has shown me a window into the human condition. The thing that he most loves and most values is what he actually thinks about and pursues. 2018 will not be a year where you learn to somehow put the pieces together to will yourself to do certain things that you're probably not going to do. You're only going to do what you value. You're only going to think about what you really value. You're only going to give your time and your energy and your life to the things that you love and the thing that you value. Let me define value real quick. It's the importance, worth, or usefulness of something. Now, 2017, if, it, if we're being honest, was a window to what you found. Everything that you did in 2017 was a window to what you found important. Everything that you did in 2017 is a window to what you found worthy. And everything that you did in 2017, how you spent your time, how you gave your energy, what you gave your money to, was what you determined to be useful. You and I are just like that two-year-old running after dinosaurs. Maybe our habits are more refined, but we go after and we pursue what we value. Now, a lot of times people start the year with a fresh bang, and one of the things I love about January is that somehow turning the calendar, we start to accept the new mercies that God has given us, and we really do believe in the limitless possibilities for our lives, and that's a great thing. Scripture tells us that our mercies are new every single morning. Every morning is January 1st in the kingdom of God, and we truly do have brand new mercies every morning from God. But here's what I wanted uh, for me and what I want for you and what I want for this church in 2018 and, and every year thereafter. You're not going to do anything different this year based on your willpower. Might last you a month. If you're really good, if you're really good at guilting yourself, maybe two. If you really want to grow, you and I are going to need to learn how to value new things. It's going to need to happen from the inside out. Just like that song that we just sung, uh, the, the real change that God wants to do from us is to show our hearts, for our hearts to be actually value things uh, differently. And we're not going to change simply because of our willpower. Now, if I were to get a Popeye's gift card, my birthday is 10 months from now, so you can start thinking about this now. Um, if you gave me a Popeye's gift card, I would use that joint today because I find it really valuable. Extremely valuable, more than whatever you paid for it, actually. <laughs> but if you gave me something to somewhere else that I didn't necessarily find useful, I, I, would, I wouldn't use it. It would just sit there and collect dust. 
Now, there are spiritual habits and, and disciplines that men and women have done for thousands of years, prayer and scripture, and for a lot of us, myself included, there have been times in 2017 where I, was, I had some good weeks, like I was putting together some good stuff, and there have been times where there were lulls and where I was disappointed in how much I truly had a vibrant and, thir- and thriving prayer life and time in, in scripture, and I realized, like, wow, Jordan, the reason you're struggling in your prayer life or the reason that you're here exactly with your approach to scripture is not because of your willpower, though it might be weak. It's really in what you actually value. So if we're going to grow in 2018, it's going to be to learn how to value God and prayer and scripture in new ways. And here's what I I love so much about who God is. Uh, God is not waiting for you to get it right before he starts to love you. Um, God is not waiting for you to finally get it right this year before his affections are poured out on you. Uh, the entirety of Scripture, is, is the, the nature and the, and the character of God is shown to us in Jesus. That If you want to get an understanding of what God's love for you is like, you should look at Jesus. I was reading um, some stuff the other day and some commentaries, and the author was talking about if Jesus didn't give up on you in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he was facing the cross, sweating blood, if he didn't give up on you then, he's not going to give up on you now. So what would make us actually grow to value God more in Scripture um, and in prayer? I think there's two things that are big obstacles for most of us, and one of those big obstacles is that many of us have the wrong expectations in place when we approach God in prayer and in Scripture. Uh, I've used this analogy a bunch, but I can't think of a better one, so I'll use it again. Uh, A lot of times, um, people will go to the gym, right? You've got that Blink membership some of you just paid, uh, that that $15 a month uh, to go to Blink. And uh, there's always people who go for like a week and they're like, you know what? I don't think this working out thing is for me, right? I went there, I was on the elliptical machine for like 30 minutes and nothing happened. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> like all of this is still here. There's no six pack. Um, if your approach, if your expectation was that you can go to the gym for a week, for a week, and your life, your physical body, which you've done nothing for, for about a good six months, would suddenly be radically transformed, and you'd be someone who belongs in the cover of of men's or women's health magazine, that's a really unrealistic expectation. The problem with bad expectations is that we start to cast things as unworthy or unimportant or not useful based on not what they really are, but based on bad expectations for them. Now, a lot of times people, I'll get these, I'll have conversations with people, and they think, hey, I tried I tried to pray. I tried it for a week. It didn't work. I tried to read my Bible for a week, and, and it didn't work. Nothing happened. I didn't, I didn't feel a lightning bolt. I didn't even know what I was doing. Fifteen years ago, I started to read the Bible for the first time in my life, um, and I read through the New Testament. Uh, it's actually not that long of a book. Most of you have read books much longer than the New Testament uh, several times this year. I read through the New Testament, and full disclosure, I probably understood about 20% of it. And the other 80% was just full of stuff that I was like, I don't know what that means. That sounds kind of offensive. I don't know about this. I don't understand this. Those, if I would have given up then, not understanding what stuff actually meant, I would, my life would never be where it is right now. I don't want people to discard the, the rhythms that have carried women and men of God for thousands of years. I don't want you to discard that because it didn't work for you in a week's time. One of the things that I I hope God did for you in 2017 was I hope God killed your terrible expectations of what should happen in your spiritual discipline life. I hope you tried it and and you realized that was horrendous, and I cannot carry those expectations any longer. 
Now, as we are getting into our goals for 2018 and the things that we'll be using to, to help us to grow, I want us to be thinking about long-term, what could happen in my life? What could happen in your life if you didn't have this a week on or a week off, but if you were shaped over the course of a year or years by the teachings of Scripture, what would happen? What could God do in you? One of the things that I lament that Renaissance doesn't have as much of is we don't have as, as much gray hair in the building. Uh, besides my parents, we got about th three or four other people. Uh, and it's a prayer of mine. Um, we're going to start doing uh, evangelism at other churches. We're just going to like try to get people's old people to come to Renaissance. It's a new goal for 2018. But one of the things I think that we lack as a church um, is that we, we don't see too often the example of what it looks like to see someone who has been shaped for decades with Christ. Not somebody who's flashy, not somebody who stays up, stands up on the stage, but someone who had a disciplined life uh, where they were growing for decades and decades in Scripture and in prayer. And you look at their lives and you just wonder how it is that they're that peaceful and that full of the Spirit. It doesn't happen because of one day they had these spiritual highs on stage, or they came to church and the worship was banging and their life was changed, but it was that day after day in the mundane, in the pursuit of God, they found the value of God over years and years and years, and their valuing of what God was doing in their life deepened over those years, and they are monumentally different people as a result decades later. Uh, Jess and I went to, um, I went to Kentucky a couple years, uh, years ago to see some friends, and uh, the, the dad was a pastor and his wife was I had done ministry by his side for 40 years, and he was just one of the most godly people I have ever seen in my life. And he wasn't the flashiest person. He wasn't the flash. He's not the best communicator. He's not filling out auditoriums with, uh, or writing books to sell to millions of people. But that man is one of the most godly people I have ever met in my life. Uh, he uh, and his wife, they were about to take us to the airport. And uh, on the way out the garage door, he told his wife, hey, can you close the garage on your way out? She was very excited about, you know, hanging out with us for the last hour, said it again. Hey, babe, can you, you know, remember to close the garage on your way out? Still doesn't do it. She gets in the car, and for me, that would have been a three-week argument in my house. <laughs> I don't know. I can't believe you are something else. You, I just, you just ignore me. That's your problem. You don't listen to people. That's your problem. You don't listen to people. You don't listen. This brother got out the car very gently, closed the garage, got back in the car, with a big smile on his face and kept on going. I said, now that is a work of the spirit. <laughs> hey, you have no idea what God can do in your life, and I don't want you to carry the wrong expectations of what God can do based on a week or a month, but think about what God can do in your life over years. Uh, the second challenge and big obstacle that people have um, to really have valuing God and, and, and valuing the things that actually conform us to uh, to be made more in, in, in his image is something called moralism. Now, moralism is basically the way most of us approach God. Moralism is this. It's the belief that what you do can positively affect your relationship with God. Moralism is the belief that what I do will make God like me. There is nothing in all of that I know that is more dangerous to you having a relationship with God that is thriving than moralism. Now, in liberal circles, these are generalities. In liberal circles, moralism tends to look more on the social side. So if I love my neighbor, if I work at this soup kitchen, if I do this, if I do that, then God will love me. On the more conservative side, people tend to think, well, if I don't drink, if I don't uh, get drunk, if I don't 
um, have sex with people I'm not married to, then God will love me. And both of these people, as far apart as they seem to be on, on first glance, they are identical. They're both saying, I'm going to do these things so that God will love me. Now, that is the antithesis of the gospel. The gospel doesn't tell us that God loves you because you're good. The gospel tells us because God loves you, he will make you good. If you love people because you want God to love you, you don't love them for them. You love them for you. You're using them to get God's approval, but you don't really love them. The only way you could truly be free to love people is if you don't have to love them for God to love you. If God's love for you is poured out regardless of whether or not you love them, and then if you decide to enter into their lives and love them with pain and with all these different things, that is truly loving someone. Now, most of us approach the Bible as God is uh, our, uh, our boss, and he's going to give us a quarterly review, and he's going to check uh, our, our, our Bible reading and our prayer times, and he's going to measure and evaluate how often you have prayed and how often you have read your Bible. And if you haven't done it enough and it haven't been these profound experiences, then God is going to be displeased with you. And most of us, a lot of people struggle with reading the Bible and re- with, with prayer uh, mainly because of guilt. You read it for a couple of days, you don't read it, and then you feel guilty. You feel guilty because you think that God is displeased with you, that God no longer loves you. God's favor is not on you anymore. In order to get it back, you need to read and, and, and you need to have these monumental mountaintop uh, burning bush experiences in order for God to love you. And what it becomes is an exercise in futility where you are either going to feel prideful or guilty all of the time. And you won't value scripture. You won't value prayer. You won't value any of these things because all it is is a method to alleviate your guilt. I wouldn't value that either. Hey, but what if there's another way? What if uh, there's something that can happen in our lives that's different than uh, bad expectations and thinking something's going to happen overnight or approaching the Bible just to relieve us from some guilt? Uh, I think what would happen in our lives is that we would actually start to see the worth of what it can do in our lives, the worth of who Jesus is, uh, the worth of what he has come to do in our lives. The Bible is uh, the best-selling book in the entirety of the world. Uh, there's never been anything. They've removed it from every bestseller list uh, because of how far ahead it, it is of everything else. It doesn't even, it's, it's, to say it's off the charts is, um, is to minimize how off the charts it truly is. Um, now, the Bible starts with, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God, and it introduces us to the first character, in the Bible, the protagonist, the one who the story is all about. Yes, women and men have made cameos in the story of God, but this story is a book about God. In the beginning, God, and it ends in Revelation with God. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with everyone. It starts with God, and it ends with God, because it is a story all about God and God's redemptive acts, God's pursuit of you, not your pursuit of God. You guys have heard about the acronym, the Bible stands for basic instructions before leaving earth. Anybody heard of that before? That is the worst description of the Bible on the planet. It is harmful. It's harmful for you to think that the Bible is God's instructions for you. Rather, that this is God's story about God's redemptive acts throughout all of humanity, pursuing, willing, bringing his people back to himself. It starts with God and it ends with God. And to find ourselves in that story is a much more profound way to approach God and a much more profound way to actually see the value of that story than it is for us to approach it, trying to win God's approval. So this year, um, we're doing a number of things. Uh, This next couple of weeks, we're in this series called Ephesians. 
And uh, one of the reasons we're doing a, a, a book of the Bible, uh, this one particularly, is it's, uh, it's short and something that you can read uh, pretty quickly if you wanted to read through it. Uh, secondly, we really wanted to pause and to kind of go more th uh, thoroughly through this book to help you kind of get some tools in learning how to read the Bible so that it may not be that unapproachable to you if you are new and if you have been around a while, that you would continue to discover the riches of what it offers. Now, the second thing that we're doing, um, we have been doing it for about a year and a half, and we've just reordered some more, is something called Community Bible Reading and uh, CBR. We've talked about it a good amount of time, and we just got the, the latest uh, 2018 editions fresh off the stage. As a matter of fact, you should have gotten an insert in your program. You can take that out now. Uh, it's a sample page of, of that. Now, doing the CBR is one of the things that keeps Jordan's moralism at bay. Uh, it's one of the things that reminds me of who God is, and then it helps me to answer the questions of who am I, and then what should I do as a result. But it always starts with the first question of really who God is. And it puts the cart, uh, it puts the horse before the cart. Is that the right way of saying it? Yes, okay. It does the right thing. That's what, I'm, that's what I mean to say. Uh, so the CBR has a, a number of movements, and we're just going to go through it today. Um, so for the rest of the time today, uh, I want you to be looking at that on your, on your page and thinking about how you would answer it for yourself. And I want this to be a tool that you can have for yourself, because here's one of our goals uh, for real. My goal, nothing would make me happier in, uh, in the 2019 that if I knew that there were so many of you guys in this room that your highest and best spiritual experience happened outside of church. I love church. I love coming together for worship. I think the teaching of God's word is immensely uh, important, but I would love it so much if the anchor for your faith wasn't uh, what happened on a Sunday or not, but it was at the time that you have spent with God learning about who God is uh, with yourself and um, with others in community that you're community with. All right, so CBR has a starting. It says to start with surrendering in prayer. And uh, for some people, that might sound a little intense, like, why do I have to surrender in prayer? Um, and I think it's because we need to first realize uh, our own limitations on what we can do and be without God. A.W. Tozer has an amazing quote. He says, um, the reason why many are still making little forward progress is because they haven't yet come to the end of themselves. We're still trying to give orders and interfering with God's work within us. So we start the day just by acknowledging that you can't do it alone, and that's a really powerful thing in and of itself, and you want God to, to work in your life. Uh, the second part is to listen to the scriptures, uh, and there's one chapter a day, one from the Old and one from the New Testament. If you're newer and um, haven't uh, really had a rhythm of scripture reading, I would suggest just to start with the, uh, the New Testament, and, um, and you're basically just reading through a chapter of scripture. You're not writing anything. You're not doing anything. All you're doing is just reading it one time through. Now, really quick side note, uh, one of the things that we would really, really encourage is that you read a version of the Bible that you can understand, um, because a lot of times people have an obstacle to, to engaging with Scripture because you have, you know, that's, that Bible that your grandmother gave you when you were seven years old, the King James joint, and um, it has a drawing on the front of it, and um, I had one that had a zipper. It was nice. It was, it was a nice Bible. But I didn't understand a lot of the language. Um, now, one of the, we recommend a number of Bibles here, things that you can more easily uh, access, and they're all on the YouVersion Bible app. Uh, one of them is the ESV, the English Standard Version. Uh, another one is the New International Version. The other one is the CSB, the Contemporary Standard Bible. Um, all of these, um, oh, that's, that's actually the Christian Standard Bible. Um, 
All of these versions are really good. And the reason I recommend these over the King James is because, one, we don't talk like they did in 1600, so there's a lot you'd miss out on. And secondly, the scholarship is a whole lot better in terms of the translation from the original Greek manuscripts to what we have today. So I'd really encourage you guys to uh, read in one of those versions and whatever one um, makes the most sense to you, just to remove one of those obstacles. All right, so you listen to your scripture, you read a chapter. The third step is where we're going to spend the rest of our time today, praying through your pen. It's you writing down what jumps out to you from uh, the page, and it has a number of, it has four boxes, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, meant to be done in that order, and we're going to spend the rest of today with my journal entry on Ephesians 1 and 1. Uh, It starts off with adoration, and the verse is, uh, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. Now, what can we learn about who God is just from this little verse? Um, What does the scripture tell us about who God is? Now, Paul is just a name. It's just an introduction to it, but he didn't write this letter anonymously because there's a whole backstory to his name. As a matter of fact, um, Paul is a man with a history and a story, and um, he's now an apostle. He's now this high-ranking official in the Christian church, and his story is one of the most unlikely stories ever. So for the fact that he can just say, Paul is now an apostle, is a ridiculous concept in and of itself. Paul was originally Saul, and uh, Saul was not the guy who was writing letters trying to strengthen Christians. Saul was a guy who was killing Christians, quite literally. Paul was so opposed to the Christian movement that his full-time job was to find and completely disband Christians. And then one day in Acts 9, uh, Jesus comes to him and says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And later, Saul is blinded, and uh, he comes to faith in Christ, realizes that Jesus Christ is not just a sham, or Jesus isn't just some thing that people have made up, but that Jesus is, in fact, the way, the truth, and the life. And his life is radically changed, and uh, he goes from Saul to Paul. Now, here's what's so profound for me. Um, It all started with a confrontation. And when Jesus confronted Saul, now Paul, on the road to Damascus, Now, the first thing I wrote in this adoration box is that confrontations and interruption, confrontations and interruptions can lead to life with Jesus. Confrontations and interruptions can lead to life with Jesus. For some of you guys, just the fact that you are in church today, uh, or certainly as you go in the next couple of weeks, if you try to approach God in prayer and scripture, it's not going to be this clear-cut path where everything is just God agreeing with everything you think. Uh, but rather the entire journey of Christianity, of discipleship, is you learning brand new things that you didn't know before, and you unlearning a whole lot of stuff that you thought you knew in the first place, and then you relearning the things that God wants you to know over and over and over again. It's learning, it's unlearning, and it's relearning. And oftentimes, there will be confrontations and interruptions in your life in order for us to learn, in order for us to unlearn, in order for us to relearn what it is that God wants to do in our lives. But these are not simply Uh, um, confrontations and interruptions just for the sake of an interruption, but rather what God is doing in our life in this process. God wants to deepen and nurture you in the interruptions and the confrontations in your life. Uh, One of my other jobs is I work with helping churches get started all over New York City and in the region. And one of the things I was most recently confronted with in my personal and spiritual life was how little I've been praying for the projects that God has us working with. And we got some really exciting news that we're going to be announcing in a couple of weeks about what's coming up um, in this region. Uh, 
but for one project that we we're trying to get off the ground, for weeks and weeks, everybody was working like crazy on it, and we were like hitting a dead end every single time. We were making no progress at all. And finally, I realized, Jordan, you haven't prayed about this once. Like, I've given a little head nod prayer, but I haven't really sought prayer. And I realized how pragmatic I am and how often I'll lean to what I can, you know, figure out on my own or lean to the connections I've made or lead to me trying to work it out on my own and not simply confessing to or, or going to God and surrendering my life to him and say, God, what is your will for this to happen? And since that time of God closing all of these doors, all these interruptions, God just, we started to pray and God flung open a door so wide open that I was, I'm annoying my wife and I'm like, babe, I really can't believe this joint happened. She's like, I can, stop talking about it. <laughs> but it's been, a, it's been a, a huge thing in my spiritual life. And man, that is such a blessing when God interrupts you and shows you where you're kind of missing the mark sometimes. Some of you, when you approach God in prayer and scripture this week, this month, this year, there will be interruptions and confrontations and it's not going to feel good, but it can lead to real robust life with God. Now, the second thing I wrote in this box was um, based on the second part of the version of the verse, rather, where it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will. What does that mean, by God's will? What was Paul trying to communicate when he says that? Uh, by basically means the agent, person, or force responsible for the action, right? That's what the word by means. The agent, person, or force responsible for the action, so essentially, Paul is saying that the agent and the person and the force responsible for me becoming an apostle was God. One of the things is probably something I hear every single time after a baptism class uh, is people who wonder whether or not they would be able to actually live the life that God is calling them to live. Um, and here's what most people are thinking. They're thinking that God has called them to this place and that God will leave them right here. And they're going to have to figure it out for the rest of the way on their own. Here's the second thing I wrote in this box. It's that um, God gives us grace to follow him. God gives you grace to follow him. You need the grace of Jesus to appreciate Jesus. It's all grace. If you were to, to, to write to sum up the Bible in, or the works of God in your life in, in, in one short sentence, just, I would just simply say it's all grace from beginning to end. And God gives us grace uh, to follow him. So Paul is saying that the person and the force responsible for him is God and not himself. In another letter that Paul writes to, Philippi to the Philippians, Paul talks about all of these amazing accomplishments he has, that he was a Pharisee and he was the Hebrew of Hebrews and that he trained under these people and he did all of these different things. And he says at the end of it, and all of this was worthless. All of it was worthless. I don't know what it is that you're looking to in 2018 as the force and the person responsible for your growth, but here's what I know. God gives us grace in order to follow him. And this is why we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, that he is Emmanuel, God with us. He is not God simply around us. He's not simply God in the vicinity of us. He is God with us, and God will not call you to something that he will leave you alone to accomplish on your own. God gives us grace to follow him. That's the second thing that, uh, that stuck out to me. The last thing that stuck out to me, um, actually, I'll, I'll stick here for a quick second. Uh, one of my favorite verses comes from Isaiah 41, and it's one of the verses I turn to uh, when I'm actually feeling like, God, I don't know what's next. I don't know what the next, uh, I don't know what the next thing is for me, and I, I just find this to be so soul-nourishing every single time. It says, fear not, for I am with you. 
Do, be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will up, uphold you with my righteous right hand. Look at all the times you see the word I there. I am with you. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you. God gives us grace to follow God. He gives us grace to follow him. And that is something that is praiseworthy and adoration worthy in and of itself, that he doesn't simply call us and leave us by ourselves, but he gives us more grace and he will strengthen us. He will uphold us. We simply need to come to him. He is not an absentee parent. The third thing I put in the adoration box is that God's grace and his will makes the ridiculous imaginable. Uh, if you were to uh, ask the disciples, Peter and John and Andrew and all these men, hey, who is the least likely person to be the strongest voice in Christianity? They would have said Saul of Tarsus. Who is the person that we are reading his letter from today? Paul, or who is the same person as Saul of Tarsus? God's grace in your life will make the ridiculous, the absolute ridiculous, imaginable, impossible. Chances are whatever limitations you have in your life are way too low, ridiculously too low. You have no clue what God can do in your life. No clue whatsoever. When I first um, stumbled, I stumbled into teaching a Bible study. I had no aspirations in life of being a pastor and being in ministry. I'm the first person in my family to ever be ordained in ministry. Um, uh, years ago when I was in college, uh, we, my friend and I determined, hey, we should start a Bible study. I said, great. I know everybody. I'll invite people. You teach the Bible study. It was an easy thing. I invite people. You teach it. I was going to sit down, take my notes. And a couple of days before the Bible study was supposed to start, he called out. Uh, he had some stuff going on in his life, and he didn't feel good teaching a Bible study. And my reputation was on the line. I'm like, yo, I've told like 40 people that like this thing is happening, and people are coming. And this is, you know, millennials, this is going to hurt a little bit. This is before cell phones. I couldn't like text anybody and tell them that this was, uh, it was, it was going to be canceled. Uh, all we had was dorm room phone numbers. You just <laughs> dial the last four digits of the dorm room. Um, and I didn't even know most people's numbers. So we, um, so we decided to go with the, through with the Bible study. My aunt found out that I had been a Christian. So she, she was sending me these like T.D. Jakes, you know, sermon series, four parts, Woman Now Art Loose, or whatever it was. <laughs> And I was like listening to them joints like, all right, so first point is loosen, you know what I'm saying? And uh, I was listening to these tapes, trying to figure out how to teach a Bible study. I stood up in front of that room of people, and it was the worst lesson that has ever been taught um, in the history of Bible studies. However, uh, in that moment, I had this crazy, crazy feeling. For the first time, first time in my life, I started to sense, hey, what if God wants me to spend the rest of my life doing this, talking to people about Jesus? Nah, it can't happen. Way too crazy. Me? Nah, I don't have anybody in my family who's in ministry. I don't have any mentors. I don't even want to do it. That's a, that's a whole big piece that was missing, that was included in there. For your life, if we were to fill in those blanks, that you could put your name, your name, what? By the grace of God, by the will of God. What could you be by the will of God? What could God do in your life? What are the limitations that you, you mean to tell me that the God of the universe cannot take you beyond where you think you could be, where you can go. Listen, most of us would fill in those blanks way, way, way too low. We have no idea what God can do in your life. It won't happen tomorrow. It will not happen next week. It won't happen next month. But you have no idea what God can do in your life. And this is just the, the beauty of what God is and who he is. Now, the next box is confession. And these next number of, of uh, examples are shorter. So you don't have to worry about uh, that. Uh, and confession is, it could be uh, what 
is going on in our hearts, our lives, or it could be um, uh, related to the scripture that we're reading for the day. And my confession for this day is um, I want God's will for my life to be for my pleasure and not God's glory. Paul, in this verse, doesn't just talk about the possibilities ahead of him, but also God's ownership of him. He's not just an apostle. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. His five-year plan was now out the window, and his life will now be spent in the pursuit, not of what he wants, but what God wants for him. Oftentimes in life, I think we can read through scriptures and see these men and women and and really uh, not understand the fullness of what they were saying when they said these things. When Paul says he was an apostle of Jesus Christ, he knew the persecution that was happening in these churches. He was eventually going to be killed for his faith. This wasn't his ticket to getting a Rolls Royce. This was his ticket to a death sentence. There's a scripture where Paul says in Galatians 4 and 19, my children, I am again suffering labor pains for you until, until Christ is formed in you. Now, ladies, moms, I don't know what it feels like to give birth, and please don't get mad at me for even giving this analogy, but I will say this. When uh, Jess and I, went to, when she went to give birth to Jameson, and I went to watch her give birth, um, we were sitting there, and we heard the screams of what sounded like a person getting chopped up by an axe murderer. And we looked at each other, and it was like, let's call the anesthesiologist and get this epidural cracking, because I, I, I don't know if you want to do all that. You can if you want to, but I don't know if you, that you do. It was the worst sound that I've ever heard in my life from someone who was in the most excruciating pain that they had ever been. And here's what Paul is saying in Galatians 4.19, that I am in pain even as a woman labors so that Christ will be formed for you. This was his job description. My job is so tough, the best analogy I have is labor. That's how God wanted to use his life. I don't want God to use my life like that. I don't. I want, God to, I want God's will for my life to be more about my pleasure than for his glory. But what if the way that God wants to use you will be painful? What if it will be immensely painful? Not just for a brief moment. What if it would be painful for years? But what if this is the best way for God's glory to be shown throughout your life? I don't know that I would want that. Now, as I'm hoping to grow, I'm hoping to align more and more my day-to-day realities with God's mission. And this is what God does in our life over time. He aligns our day-to-day pursuits with his mission, but it's simply not on our own. We are not left a blank check to, check to do whatever we want. The next one is Thanksgiving. And it's really important that you don't end your prayers on confession. Uh, most of the people I know, their prayer life is, God, give me this, and God, I'm sorry for this, 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 and this. And they say, well, I don't really find prayer valuable or worthy, worthwhile because I just kind of feel bad doing it. So we never want to end prayers on confession. Uh, we want to continue through the box. And the next one is Thanksgiving. Thanking God for what he has done in your life, past, present, and future. And here was mine. Uh, my Thanksgiving that day was that the primary acting agent in my life is God, not me. Paul says, I'm an apostle by the will of God. The primary acting agent in Paul's life was God. Great. God, I'm thankful that the person responsible for my spiritual life is not me. It's you. Because if it was me, I would crash and burn every single time. Philippians 1 and 6 uh, is a beautiful reminder. I've read it a number of times. It says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's good news. The God who started a good work in you 
will carry it on to completion. That is moralism-crunching news, that the God who started a good work in us will not leave us alone through all of the hills and the valleys of your failures and my failures, of my faithlessness, God will not leave us abandoned. God will strengthen us. God will uphold us. He will finish the work that he started. Last one is supplication. And supplication is uh, uh, what we want God to do in us um, and what do we want God to do in our lives. Here's my supplication. Mine is that I want God to remind me that he is active in my life and to make me aware of his presence. Now, I don't know uh, where you guys are at, but I want to end today with a, a what is an awkward, might be an awkward moment for some of you guys, 30 seconds of silence, where we're going to turn to the Lord right now in, in prayer. Uh, but before we get to that, um, I do want to just mention a couple of things about the CBR. Uh, we are so hoping that you would engage in this. And even if you've tried and failed before, I'm so hoping that this year will be a year where you don't do every day. And part of the reason we're starting it in January 8th, or January 8th as opposed to uh, giving it out at the end of December, is... If you miss days, fine. The point of this is not to make every single day. The point of this is for you to grow in love and adoration and appreciation of who God is and to learn what it means to live in his family. They'll be in the back right after service. Uh, we'll give them away at cost uh, at 10 bucks. But if you can afford 10 cents, that's great. Then you can pick one up too. We don't want there to be any a reason that you don't have one. So they'll be right after service. And we're going to turn to the Lord right now. Um, and I want you to pray right now what God could do in your life. God, take our eyes off of ourselves and place them on you. Help us to set our hope on you, on the one who is our everlasting God. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.